lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Friday. The final Friday before it comes to an end. Who knows, though, which end we are talking about. I am Steve Dace. Thank you for joining us here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Aaron McIntyre is here with me. Todd Erzin has the day off, but we will be joined by Paul Alexander and Josh Hammer here in just a moment for our Dace Group Roundtable. 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the program. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. You can also follow us on Parlor at Steve Dace, where if Joe Biden wins, we're all going to be within a year. Uh, you can also check out our new YouTube channel, which who knows how much longer that will be permitted to stay up at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. Who knows that URL could be a collector's item one day, like that Billy Ripken F face baseball card where he, he, he poses. Uh, you, you don't know that one, do you? I do, I do not. No, you're too young for that. Uh, old people, you know what I'm talking about. All right. Anyway, all these social media uh, addresses, contact points, are all going to be wiped away uh, on the current trend line. So take advantage of them now while you can. That's also a reason, by the way, you want to take advantage of the steepest discount we've ever offered for Blaze TV because all gallows humor aside, uh, seriously, who knows what our status is going to be uh, in utilizing social media to get our content to you. I know a lot of you, because it's convenient, hey, I just look for the clips of your show or, or Glenn's show or Mark's show I want to see on YouTube, and it just comes into my RSS feed or on my phone, or I just uh, scroll through on my Twitter or my Facebook news uh, channel. Yeah, You cannot guarantee that in the next 12 months, you're going to be able to do that. So we have made it as inexpensive as ever to subscribe to Blaze TV, less than $6 a month with a discount of over of about $30 on an annual subscription so that you can be guaranteed that you get our content directly from us without any big tech censorship. So just use the promo code Steve right now. When you go to blazetv.com, use the promo code Steve when you go to blazetv.com. Coming up a little bit later on, we'll get to the feedback that you have been sending us on a Feedback Friday, but we begin, as we always do, with the Dace Group. Your weekly look at the week that was, and we are joined, Aaron and I, by our good friend Josh Hammer. He is the op-ed page editor over at Newsweek. Our new friend, Paul Alexander, uh, who was uh, a top strategist, uh, communications strategist for Tulsi Gabbard's uh, presidential campaign earlier this year. Uh, and the Dace Group this week brought to you by our good friends over at Scoremaster. You know, the average American has about 100 points that they can add to their credit score if they only knew how. And that's where Scoremaster comes in. It's the new credit science that will help you to super boost your credit score. What do we mean? We're not talking about just a few points here. The average ScoreMaster user can raise their score about 60 points in about three weeks. How? Because they put the knowledge, the power of the knowledge of your real score and how you got there and why you're there in your hands and out of the hands of the banks so that you know exactly an easy, readable, understandable information. Here's why you have the score you have and then they show you where you can get to the score you want because it makes a big difference. Uh, first of all, employers are looking at credit scores nowadays in a lot of cases. Uh, then it can be the difference in whether you get approved for that uh, car loan, home loan, business loan, and then what kind of offer 
uh, what kind of details, interest rate, terms you're given if you are able to get approved. So if you want to see if this is right for you, you can enroll in minutes, see how many plus points that ScoreMaster can add to your credit score. If you visit scoremaster.com slash Steve, that's scoremaster.com slash Steve. And let's get to issue one. Bleep, Democrats say. I'll work as hard for those who don't support me as those who do, including those chumps with the microphone out there. Um, We're looking at over 220 million Americans who just in the last several months died. I have many people who I love in my life. There are a lot of friends who I had to really get rid of because they, they are so nonsensical when it comes to this issue. I just, I had to get rid of a lot of people in my life because sometimes you just have to let them go. I think that they have to hit rock bottom like an addict, right? And they have to want to get help. They have to want to know the truth. They have to want to live in reality. As of today, there have been 38,160 cases of COVID-19 in Oregon, with 390 new cases being reported today. Sadly, we are also reporting three deaths today bringing the statewide total for COVID-19-related deaths to 608. Earlier today, you talked to the Journal of the American Medical Association, or JAMA, and you were talking about what an extraordinary thing has happened in Melbourne. They had a 111-day lockdown, started with 20,000 cases a day, and as you pointed out, two days ago, they had zero cases. Why can't we do that? Well, if people are not wearing masks, then maybe we should be mandating it. You're not, you're not anonymous. I'm the president, and I certainly don't want to. Uh, I, I wear a mask for two things, Anderson. Uh, Halloweens and uh, pandemics. So, no. Well, I'm sick and tired of smart guys. We have put together, and you guys did, did it for our administration, the President Obama's administration before this. We have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. I got a notification that, that uh, Amy Coney Barrett was officially confirmed to the Supreme Court. My deepest and greatest sadness is for the American people. Generations yet unborn will suffer the consequences of this nomination. I'm scared for me, other women, uh, people who need help, everyone except white men. More details on the knife attack in France were revealed late Thursday. Witness statements of first responders indicate that the man moved towards them in a threatening manner, shouting, Allahu Akbar. This is a country that is terrorized by these Islamic radicals. It is, and we don't know the motive in this case. So somebody denies the Holocaust has happened is not misinformation. It's it's misleading information, but we don't have a policy against that type of misleading information. So as you can see, it's kind of hard for me to talk right now because I got jumped inside of a five below that's currently being uh, ransacked and completely looted. And the hope is that that doesn't escalate into anything uh, more than, than the peaceful protests. And I promised Joe that I will give him that perspective and always be honest with him. And is that a socialist or progressive perspective? <laughs> no. <laughs> don't even know what to say to that. I just, I don't, 
We're live, right? We are live. Okay. Um, I, I, uh, the woman in the clown makeup. I don't. Sadly, we've had two people die today. And then she puts her mask on. I don't even know what to say. Well, she puts her second mask on, if you know what I'm saying. Gee. Yep. Yeah. All right. First question. What was your best of the worst this week? Josh Hammer, we'll begin with you. Steve, what on earth did I just watch? Um, The end of the world, Josh. The end of the friggin' world. That's what you just watched. I I, I have been privileged to join the show a number of times. That, I think, was the single craziest, quote-unquote, highlight reel I think I've ever seen on our wonderful Friday Days Group gatherings. I I don't even know where to begin. Um, Look, there's a lot of places to go. Um, Jack Dorsey is the obvious person to start with. You know, as a friend texted me the other day, that's the kind of person where if you're growing up and someone looks like that down the block, your parents don't let you within like 100 or 200 yards of that person. You might want to file for like a restraining order. Now he runs the the most consequential platform in the world. Yes, yes, yeah. This is the clown who is controlling our discourse, who has kept the nation's fourth largest newspaper, the New York Post, locked out of its own account for over two weeks now. And talk about the Holocaust as not being misinformation worthy of a fact check or a, a full on account deletion, but the president of the United States talking about voter fraud is. I mean, I don't even know where to start on that, but that's actually not even the example that I want to really focus on. The example I really want to focus on, the one that actually stood out to me on a slightly deeper level, is Don Lemon. What Don Lemon is doing there in the clip we just saw is talking about unfriending people, but probably both on social media and I presume in his real life due to a a divergence of political views. This is the toxic mentality of all toxic mentalities. That is the belief that if you extrapolate that and, and, and if enough people across the country kind of imbibe that like mother's milk and kind of act on those beliefs, that will lead to secession. That will lead to another civil war. That is old, the inability to to empathize, to have any idea what your fellow citizens believe is the most toxic thing that a, that a purportedly unified nation could ever have. And the data actually backs this up. There's been polling on this, either Gallup or Pew, I don't remember remember, but one of the major pollsters shows that Democrats, self-identified liberals, leftists, whatever you want to call them, are much more likely than Republicans or self-identified conservatives to actually go and click the unfriend button on social media by by an order of magnitude, like 30 or 40 percent more likely, according to the polling that I've seen. This is really, really, really toxic stuff. Obviously, it kind of leads uh, at at minimum to cancel culture like we're seeing in the universities and kind of the woke uh, Fortune 500 corporate establishment as well. Mm -hmm. But it's even worse than that. If you if you keep on taking that mentality, it's going to lead to really, really, really dark places. Well said, Paul Alexander. You're next. Go ahead, sir. Well, Josh makes some great points uh, regarding Don Le- Don Lemon specifically. You know, we've had a lot of prominent Democrats. My former boss, Tulsi Gabbard, Marianne Williamson, Andrew Yang. They have all gone on record and said the most vitriolic character assassinations typically come from the left. And it frightens me that this is being promoted as an acceptable norm to simply cut off half the country and view them as undeserving of attention or compromise or anything of that nature. Moving on, though, while I was very tempted to choose Governor Tom Wolf for telling the people of Pennsylvania who he was elected and sworn in to protect to not believe what they are seeing with their own eyes, when there is literally video evidence 
of an unruly mob chasing down police officers, more than 30 of which who sustained confirmed injuries, for him to hold a press conference and say, these are peaceful protesters. In a normal week, that would win. But unfortunately, these are not normal times. So what I want to speak to for this week's selection, Steve, when did we as a society become comfortable with this idea that unelected judges create law? I am asking you this as someone who supports legalized same-sex marriage, Mm -hmm. who supports legal access to abortion, and who did not like when the Republican-controlled Senate would not hold hearings for Merrick Garland in 2016. And I'm sure you're in direct opposition to those views, as are most of your audience members. And even with all that, I can say with the utmost conviction that Justice Amy Coney Barrett deserves to be on the Supreme Court. So the lady on that TikTok video, having an emotional breakdown, she is going to be my selection for the week because of what she represents. And I'm not choosing her to mock her. I do not think it's funny. No, I don't either. No, what what we have to come to grips with is that we're spending all this time and energy and money into these elections. And then we're essentially saying the people we elect are inconsequential. The judges can do this job for them. So so what's the point? Here's, Here's a novel idea especially for the people on my side of these issues. How about we raise the standards and hold the people we elect to office to a standard that they have to do their damn job? That would that would be a step in the right direction. If we wanna get these things passed through Congress, let's have the legislators legislate, and then we can stop vilifying good people like Amy Coney Barrett and feeling as though we have to convince the masses that she is somehow a threat to their safety. Well said, Aaron. I think it's the lady in the clown mask parlayed with Don Lemon's comments about how I have to get rid of my friends who don't want to buy into the coronavirus panic, the coronavirus, what have you. I got to get rid of them. You know, you just got to, you know, making them akin to um, addicts of junkies. That is... That is something else, and especially his final comment there, where he said, you know, you just got to wait for them to accept reality, to want to live in reality. Cut to one of the Oregon senior public health officials in a clown costume reading the day's coronavirus updates, including the death toll, while she puts on a mask. Okay, this is emblematic. When we talk about the left, the hard left, the progressive left in this country living in a different reality, that's it right there. That's it right there as well. I I just, you can't, I said on yesterday's overtime, you can't share a country, can't share a team with people who believe in a different reality, who who question the very essence of reality. And I, I don't know what more there is to say about that. And then it's demand that just, you do the same. Yeah. 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 It's it, yeah. And they give you a choice. Hey, uh, you slit your throat or we'll slit it for you. How do you how do you peacefully coexist with that? You can't. Exit question. On a scale of one to ten, with one being Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey's credibility and ten being his THC level uh, during the Senate testimony this week. Uh, rank this week's level of total depravity. Josh. That's a full ten. Paul. 420. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's I'm not Aaron, I'm not even gonna ask what you think. We're just gonna let that stand. That's very well played. Issue two. Will you still be able to get access to things like Blaze TV on social media if Joe Biden wins? The CEOs of two of the largest social media companies on the face of the planet, Facebook and Twitter, testified in front of the Senate this week after renewed allegations that the companies are censoring conservative content and information damaging to its political opponents. The Senate hearing came after Twitter and Facebook both partook in efforts to quash the New York Post story about alleged influence peddling on the part of the Biden family. The New York Post, by the way, is still locked out of its Twitter account as of this morning. Dorsey and Mr. Zuckerberg. Mr. Dorsey, did I understand you to say that you have no information indicating that the New York Post story about Hunter Biden is um, is a, a, has a, a Russian source? Did I understand correctly that? Yes, not that I'm aware of. You you don't have any such information, do you? I do not myself. Mr. Dorsey, who the hell elected you? and put you in charge of what the media are allowed to report and what the American people are allowed to hear? And why do you persist in behaving as a democratic super PAC, silencing views to the contrary of your political beliefs? Well, we're we're not doing that. Uh, And this is why I opened um, this hearing with calls for more transparency. We realize we need to earn trust more. We realize that more accountability is needed to show our intentions and to show the outcomes. Thank um, you, so I, I hear the concerns and acknowledge them, but we want to we fix it with more transparency. Mr. Dorsey, do you believe that the Holocaust really happened, yes or no? Yes. It's strange to me that you've flagged the tweets from the president, but haven't hidden the Ayatollah's tweets on Holocaust denial or calls to wipe Israel off the map. So somebody denies the Holocaust has happened is not misinformation. It's it's misleading information, but we don't have a policy against that type of misleading information. So first question, Paul, we'll begin with you. Want to get? I want to let's get outside of our bubble here, okay? Because we in conservative media are all talking to each other right now, and uh, think we're about to do a perp walk. Uh, on the biggest platforms on planet Earth. All right, so I want to start with you and get outside of our own bubble, so we don't pull Don Lemons on, in our own in, in our uniform. If is conservative media's fear of big tech censorship is it underrated, overrated, or just rated? What do you think, Paul? Steve, the national media blackout of this very credible and serious story regarding Joe Biden is one of the most unsettling and Orwellian events I've seen transpire, possibly in my entire life. As you've alluded to, the New York Post is still locked out of their Twitter account. Now they've added 186,000 Twitter followers since they got locked out, by the way. (laughs) But go ahead. (laughs) Right, yeah. And it's because they published a story that no one from the Biden campaign has gone on record to refute so it's not as though it's been even they've even been accused of falsifying information. That's not even the story here. I remember back in June when NBC News was openly lobbying Google to demonetize the Federalist for comments in their uh, in their comments section. It wasn't anything they wrote. Mm-hmm. It was people writing in their comments section. And just yesterday, I believe Glenn, uh, Glenn Greenwald resigned from the publication he helped founded because his own editors wouldn't let him publish a story critical of Joe Biden. I'm saying this as someone who has a lot of liberal values. 
I do not think that the threat is being overrated. I think the threat is very real. But I will say that I think the threat is directly linked to our tolerance as a society for mob rule. We talk a lot about cancel culture as if it's this legitimate thing. Well, these organized and well-funded pressure campaigns allowed to masquerade as spontaneous uprisings are not legitimate. And the vast majority of Americans do not like this trend. I've been encouraged to see a lot more prominent liberal voices over the last mm -hmm. few months starting to be, you know, come out publicly against this. So I do think there is an appetite for both conservatives and liberals to push back against this. And I hesitate to frame this as a left versus right issue. You know, I worked on a campaign where Google suspended our AdWords accounts the night of the debate where Tulsi Gabbard was the most searched candidate in this country. So I do not think this is limited to just conservative voices. I'll acknowledge that conservatives are in the most immediate danger, but I am confident this will spread far beyond traditional left versus right. And this is something where I think liberals and conservatives can come together and push back on this effectively if we organize. I hope you are correct about that. Josh, what do you think? I, I don't know how much I have to add, honestly. That was really well said by Paul, frankly. Um, Look, I love the New York Post. I mean, I grew up actually in the New York area. I grew up reading the Post. I write for them now uh, pretty frequently. I've actually had two columns go there just since they... Hold on, Hold, Josh, we're going to reset your connection in just a second. So, Aaron, I'm going to let you go just to let his buffering and stuff catch up. It looks like he's kind of buffering there. Yeah, I, right. I think um, I think at this point, the threat is, is rated. And the threat is this. I think after the election, I don't want to step on, I think, what is the exit question, but I think after the election, if it turns out that the forces behind Twitter, uh, meaning the worldview forces behind Twitter, the ones who, uh, well, you know, we, we won't block Khomeini's account when he questions the Holocaust because it's misleading but it's not misinformation. Uh, those same forces, whatever uh, mental gymnastics or just straight up uh, bile that is used to make those types of decisions, once that is rewarded, if it is rewarded, I, I think the reality is that conservatism or anything that is to the right of Chairman Mao, as we like to say, I think the efficacy of that message being spread on social media is going to be about the same as chain emails. I, I think you're going to have about as much success spreading conservative message or messages or pushing back against the leftist progressive agenda by sending chain emails, as you will, on social media. I think you'll still be able to find it. Uh, traces of conservative media, of anything to the right, again, of Chairman Mao on social media, but it's not going to be very effective whatsoever. Let's go back to Josh. Try him again. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. Um, look, I grew up reading the New York Post. I grew up in the New York area. Um, I write for the Post fairly frequently now. This really is one of the most Orwellian stories of the past five years, at least. I mean, at least since I kind of got started in this business on a more or less full-time basis. The reality is this. Our, our Constitution, you know, I'm a constitutional lawyer by training. Our Constitution is about public state action. But, you know, what Tucker Carlson had an interesting monologue maybe a year and a half, two years ago, where he basically said that in the 21st century, it is actually not obvious 
that the biggest threats to uh, our civil liberties, digital privacy, free speech, a free press, et cetera, it's not obvious that those biggest threats come from the state anymore. They obviously can, but if we're looking at what's happening on a day-to-day basis, it seems like it's actually the private sector, these mm-hmm. these big tech Silicon Valley behemoths that are actually the biggest threat to all of those values that we cherish. And, you know, it's a difficult time to try and reconcile those two things, right? From a legal perspective, how do we kind of produce the relevant law to rein in what is clearly a major threat? Now, I'm on team regulate big tech, but we need to figure out exactly how to go about doing that. But it is a very, very, very serious threat. And Jack Dorsey in particular, Twitter is the worst offender here. Facebook, at least nominally, has an oversight board where they have some right of center people, some advisors to kind of uh, advise them. And if you look on the websites that generate uh, the the highest amount of traffic from Facebook, uh, my former uh, boss Ben Shapiro, that's Daily Wire, is always near the top of that list. Facebook is a less egregious offender here. Twitter is a total cesspool in any number of ways, and I, I don't even know how to start going about that. When when you're dealing with a CEO who is literally treating the president of the United States talking about voter fraud as deserving a fact check label, but not the Ayatollah of Iran talking mm-hmm. about Holocaust nihilism. Mm-hmm. I don't even know where to start mm-hmm. with that, but it is a huge problem. I want to go back to what Paul was talking about. You know, I, I think we don't realize this because he's often cited by the right these days, but Orwell was a lib. Um, he just was not a leftist. He was against authoritarianism, totalitarianism, um, And uh, he would have sounded probably a lot like, Paul, the rant that you just had a few minutes ago. And, you know, we've we've thrown this word fascist around a lot the last few years. But the classic definition of it is an alliance between elite sectors, uh, between elitists in the private and public sector, between corporatists and collectivists. That's the classic definition of it. And that's exactly what you are seeing right now. Uh, with certain elements on one side vis-a-vis or or I don't even know really that it's a side as much as it's a narrative, right? I mean, there's a whole bunch of I've done tons of shows and interviews over the years with people like Charlie Sykes. I'm, you know, maybe he's done an orange man bad metamorphosis as part of the never what's left of the never Trump group. But it was just a few years ago that Charlie Sykes was writing best selling books about privatizing the education system. All right. I mean, the guy has done some serious thought in, in, on conservative issues in the past. But yet, because he's parroting the narrative that's accepted right now by the elites in the corporate and in the uh, public sector, it's like he had none of those previous right-wing views. You see what I'm getting at here, Josh and Paul? Which it, it, it seems as if whatever is the narrative that the elites on Wall Street and in our media and um, in Washington, D.C., whatever is their preferred narrative, your candidate, Paul, she buttressed that narrative. Therefore, it doesn't matter what, what liberal position she has on issues they might share. She, she would not reinforce their preferred narrative. That's, that, to me, is even more dangerous than ideological because it gets to when, when it's ideological, you can win that argument. You can point out the fallacies like you just did, Josh. Hey, the Ayatollah can spread misinformation about the Holocaust, flat-out lies, but if the president cites an actual article from the Philadelphia Inquirer on voter fraud, he gets fact-checked. That's not about ideology. That's just about sheer, unadulterated 
power and control. And that's scarier than a contest of ideas. Give me give me an ideological bias any day of the week. I'm pretty confident in my own arguments and probably too confident in my ability to make them, frankly. But we all love me some me. Um, but when it's when it's just the narrative is what the, is is what the bias is. You cannot challenge the narrative. Well, then we're not even at an exchange of ideas anymore. And I think that's what that's the message we're seeing from big tech. About a minute. Does anybody want to respond to that? I agree 100%. Go ahead, Josh. Go ahead, Josh. No, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I I, I think in many ways we're in a post-truth society, Steve. I mean, you know, you talk about this all the time, right? I mean, we're in a a society that talks about, you know, quote-unquote, letting people live their truths. Um, That is obviously is nonsensical. There is only one capital T truth. There is no such thing as lower T truth. And historically, societies have tried, you know, through the dialectic and the Aristotelian formulation, through dialogue in the public square to arrive at that truth. Now, the flip side of that coin is that when there's no capital T truth, there are untruthful capital N narratives that develop. Mm-hmm. And just like in the old school, how you know through the through the laws of blasphemy, defamation, etc., we would try to censor people who were trying to disparage capital T truth. Now, in a secular post-truth society, we are trying to censor viewpoints that go against the capital N narrative. That's exactly that's right. Seeing, yep. Yeah, that's what we're seeing in big time. All right, quickly, exit question. If Republicans win on Tuesday, will they finally go after big tech yes or no that's all i have time for aaron no paul no josh no okay we'll come back down the stretch we come in the election we'll spend a good deal of time talking about it next You know, we were just talking about uh, the new era to come may for some uh, original political coalitions, uh, some unlikely bedfellows, uh, if you will. Uh, that's kind of where the new book, Not Free America, is coming from, uh, written by a guy that certainly has uh, some different uh, religious uh, viewpoints than we typically articulate on this show, uh, Has is, is originally coming from the left, uh, from running a, uh, a pro bono civil rights law firm. Um, think of, uh, you know, Mike Donovan, the author, kind of a Dave Rubin type, but, uh, he also is concerned as Orwell was about creeping authoritarianism, creeping totalitarianism. And he sees it more coming from the left these days. And that's what not free America is about. He's concerned that the bill of rights is under attack as it hasn't been in a long, long time. You can learn more about the book. Get a copy of it if you go to the website, notfreeamerica.com. Again, that's notfreeamerica.com. Frankly, if you look at where Mike stands on a lot of issues, he's probably closer to our Dace Group panelist, Paul Alexander, uh, than he is me. All right, but he is concerned, uh, as are a lot of you in the audience, and thinks probably there's more kindred spirits over here in the Blaze TV audience than maybe with people that agree with him on some of those issues. So you can learn more about what Mike is talking about at notfreeamerica.com and order your copy of his book today at notfreeamerica.com. I mentioned Paul Alexander here with us, uh, former communication strategist for the Tulsi Gabbard presidential campaign, Josh Hammer, op-ed page editor for Newsweek. Of course, you know our very own Aaron McIntyre and myself. Todd has the day off. Let's continue on with the day's group and let's get to Issue 3, Down the Stretch They Come. As the final full week before the 2020 election wraps up, both Joe Biden and Donald Trump made their closing pitches to the American people. How could he make a deal with China when he's taking a lot of money out of China, right? 
for himself and his family. His son walked away with a billion and a half dollars. He gets fees on a billion and a half. So how can a guy like that? If elected, would you move to add more justices to the Supreme Court? If elected, what I will do is I'll put together a national commission of bipartisan commission of scholars, constitutional scholars, Democrats, Republicans, liberal, conservative. And I will uh, ask them to over uh, 180 days come back to me with recommendations as to how to uh, reform the court system because it's getting out of whack. Joe Biden is a diehard globalist who wiped out your steel mills. You know it better than almost any place in this country. Close down your factories, kill your coal jobs, outsource your industries and support it. Every terrible and disastrous trade deal. Questions and controversy continues today about Hunter Biden, your son's... uh, There is no controversy about my son. It's all a lie. It's a flat lie because the president has nothing else to run on. Biden is the shutdown candidate. The Democrats are the shutdown party. They will shut down your jobs, shut down your schools, your businesses, your police departments, your energy. They'll shut down your freedom and they will shut down the greatest economic comeback in the history of our country. President Trump received some positive economic news this week as the Commerce Department announced yesterday that gross domestic product in the United States grew 33.1% in the third quarter. That's a record since the government started keeping track of those stats. The Real Clear Politics polling average has a 7.6-point lead for Joe Biden nationally. That's up from the 2.3-point lead Hillary Clinton enjoyed at this point four years ago. In the battleground states, the RCP average shows Biden with leads of one point two in Florida, 3.6 in Pennsylvania, 6.5 in Michigan, 6.4 in Wisconsin, 0.6 in North Carolina, and a tie in Arizona. All right, so Aaron, I'll start with you this time. Um, Heading into the final weekend before the election, where do you think things stand? I I hope this doesn't sound like a cop-out, but I don't know. I just... I don't know. There are so many things, so many factors here. I, I mean, the, the surrendering of the country for two to three months to the uh, amazing duo of Fauci and Burks would say in an election year, at least, take away all the other stuff that Trump has done uh, the last three, four years that we would agree with. But in an election year, you would deserve to lose for surrendering the country over to that duo, especially Dr. Fauci. But at the same time, Trump has also done some very good things <laughs> that we've talked about. Uh, the economy prior to the pandemic was uh, vastly improved in terms of wage growth and uh, minority employment as well. And you look at uh, the rebound that we've had in this country just in the midst of this pandemic as well. You would think that that would bode well for Trump. But all that is to say, his personality, his mean tweets with a lot of with a lot of people, with a lot of people, that's enough to say, I don't know who's actually going to be running the country with a vote for Joe Biden, but I just get make it stop. Make I'm just exhausted with Trump's personality. Make it stop. I, I just don't know for sure where the electorate is on this you you see the riots as well you would think you would think with how much the democrats have been kowtowing to that for basically the entire summer you would think that would work against them as well you would think this environment right now overall would bode well for trump and then you see the polls you see the polls, some of the way that they're reaching their conclusions, as we've talked about ad nauseum on this show. You just, I, I'm having a difficult time trying 
trying to understand where everything is at. But I will boil it down for this to this, I would say. There is no scenario in my mind, if even if Trump wins North Carolina, Arizona, pulls off an upset in Nevada, there's no scenario in my mind, unless something crazy like he wins Minnesota and Wisconsin as well, that if he does not win Michigan or Pennsylvania, that he's going to win this presidency, or win re-election, I should say. And with the governors in those two states, I think that's going to be a very difficult prospect unless he wins by a convincing margin in either one of those states. So I think that's where we are right now. I'm not sure with the early voting as well. I'm really not sure how much the electorate could change on Election Day, too. So there's just I'm at a question mark. I I can put it that uh, that simply. I'm at a question mark. Paul, what do you think? Well, Steve, I, I very much respect your abilities as a data analyst, and I've been closely following your commentary on the polling methodology these past few weeks. And I will agree that regardless of the ultimate outcome, the methodology being used for these uh, forecasts is completely ridiculous. That's so, the only argument I'm making. That is the only yeah. argument. That's a separate argument over who you think's going to win. I agree. Okay. Yeah, I am closely monitoring the Trafalgar group. Not only did they have the most accurate state polls in 2016, they also had the most accurate polls in the 2018 midterms. They were the only polling outfit to call Governor Ron DeSantis. Rasmussen I'm disregarding because they were off by 10 points in 2018. So maybe they lucked out and got it right in 2016, but the consistency is not there for me. I'm in a similar boat as Aaron in terms of having difficulty making a prediction, but I I am confident in a handful of of observations. One, the fatigue is very real, and I do feel that a majority of Americans will assign blame for that onto President Trump. Now, I am reasonable enough to acknowledge that this is a two-way street, and while the president is his own worst enemy, the animus is equal, if not greater, from his opposition. However, he is the one in office, and I think most Americans have a higher expectation for the behavior of a sitting president, and that could come back to be the deciding factor in selection. Number two, I think he has been hurt with seniors because of his inconsistent messaging on COVID and the perception that he has prioritized the economy over public health when seniors are the most vulnerable with this virus. You can make arguments all you want about 98, 99 survival rates, but seniors are going to view that. And I think there might be a backlash to that prioritization being out of whack. And third and finally, I will say is that the enthusiasm is either for or against President Trump. There are not many people who are enthusiastically voting for Joe Biden. There is not widespread confidence that he has the abilities to do this job. And uh, you know, I really think it's going to depend on what issues are front of mind for those undecided voters come election day. Because you know, Democrats have an edge if it's healthcare. Republicans have an edge if it's the economy and security. So whatever is most prominent in people's minds heading into the voting booths, I think that that is what might tip the election. You know, it's funny is I 100% agree with everything, every portion morsel of your analysis. From my own side, I might have framed it a little bit differently, but but at, but fundamentally, I agree with every syllable of what you just said. I think that's exactly right, uh, and I think that ultimately there is there's a handicap uh, like a, like a golfer has with Trump. His persona is grading. Uh, it does wear on people. And so I think that requires him to have a higher performance. Obama was the opposite. 
All right. His performance wore well or his persona wore well on people. And so they gave him another term to still blame George W. Bush in the 2012 exit polls for a, a slowly rebounding economy because they liked him more. And that's human nature. People like you more. They give you more benefit of the doubt than if they don't. And that is the issue with Donald Trump. I, I, I completely agree with that. And I agree with the other factors you mentioned as well. So, Josh, what do you think? Where's it at? So outstanding analysis from uh, both of my friends who came before me. Uh, Paul, I think, has a future in political commentary for whatever it's worth. That was some really astute stuff right there. Look, if, we, if you want to go based on the ad- objective criteria, on the proverbial, are you better off now than you were four years ago, on the stock market, the economy, the, you know, the bread and butter kind of family issues that traditionally have decided American presidential elections, Trump should win in a landslide. There have only been two one-term, full-term presidents, obviously, since the New Deal. It's, uh, it's Jimmy Carter in the late 1970s and obviously George H.W. Bush. If you combine those factors, Trump really ought to prevail on Tuesday. So the fact that he's trailing so much in the polls, we have to really pause it and think about why that actually is the case. One is obviously what Aaron, Steve, you both discussed. Trump does have a uniquely polarizing personality. And I do think that there are a lot of people, especially that kind of classic swing suburban mother voting block, that is probably sympathetic to Trump's rhetoric, his policies on things like uh, like law and order, on the border, China, et cetera, but are so turned off by rhetoric. Just and, and even more so than the rhetoric, what I hear from a lot of people, even in my own family, from people who are sympathetic to his policies – They're just so fed up with the drama. It's this notion that we live in a reality TV series. And even if Joe Biden is not a return to normalcy kind of candidate on on, on the substance, I think we all know that to be the case. He at least is capable of, uh, you know, bamboozling the public, of, of, of projecting as such as a return to normalcy candidate. Now, as far as the polling is concerned, I'm obviously very happy that Paul flagged Trafalgar. I follow their polls very closely. They are one of the only pollsters who got it right in 2016. They got the Brexit vote right, of course, uh, over across the pond in the UK. And I largely, because I trust them so much, do believe in the shy Trump voter hypothesis. It, that, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. In today's climate of cancel culture, of people being fired from private employment for you know, espousing their idiosyncratic, heterodox political beliefs, it makes a lot of sense to me that Republican voters are not going to be fully transparent with these pollsters who dial them up on the phone they don't necessarily trust. Is it enough to overcome those margins in enough swing states to give Trump a narrow electoral college victory? I just don't know. And I know that's a, that sounds like a bit of a cop out. I think that Trump is in good shape in Pennsylvania. I feel very good about Ohio. Arizona, I, 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 I'm very nervous about Arizona. And if they lose Arizona, it's tough to see how they can get the presidency, the Republicans, without kind of a clean Rust Belt sweep, including Wisconsin and Michigan. So I don't know. I, 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 right now, I think Biden is a slight favorite to pull it off. But I also don't think we're going to know on election night. I do think that, that this is going to drag out for weeks. The Supreme Court this week has almost has made that an almost certainty with, I think, their erroneous, legally egregious rulings in cases out of Pennsylvania and North Carolina. So the Supreme Court, Chief Justice Roberts in particular, is not helping us right now, us being actually not even Republicans talking about the country, because I think if they had ruled differently, we might have had a little more clarity on election night and possibly would have been able to forestall some of the impending kind of chaos that I think we're going to see over the next month. So I don't think we're actually going to know on election night. I think this Tuesday will be somewhat anticlimactic. My best guess in the long run is that Biden pulls off a narrow victory, but I genuinely could see it going either way. Let's get to the exit question. So this isn't a prediction. I'm an odds maker now. Okay. 
I'm an odds maker. I'm reading polls, public opinion, environment. All right. And I'm, I'm trying to get betting action on both sides of the line based on that. All right. So I'm putting Joe Biden's electoral college win total at 230. Okay. 230 electoral college votes. Are you taking the over or the under? Aaron. Over. What do you think, Paul? Over and confidently. Josh? Yeah, over for sure, I think. Okay. All right, let's get to predictions. And it has to be an election prediction. It doesn't have to be the actual outcome. It can be if you want it to be. But something pertaining to the election. Aaron, go. Kind of a double, uh, double-edged prediction here. Either we are going to see a convincing Trump win, not necessarily a, a landslide, but I guess in today's standards it would be a, a landslide. Something over 300 electoral college votes. Or the final outcome, and this would be my prediction, is 273 to 265 in uh, favor of Biden. All right. Paul, go ahead. On November 3rd, President Trump will win in a landslide because on November 2nd, Lindsey Graham will finally get to the bottom of that deep state conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> <for this whole time. laughs> oh, well played. Hey, you know, first of all, thank you for continuing our streak of putting Lindsey Graham on blast during the day's group. It, total oversight by me. I realized today <laughs> I'd not seen D's Nuts tweeted all year long when I saw it in my Twitter feed. I'm like, another reason 2020 sucks. I haven't seen one D's Nuts. And then I realized I was going to get by today and not blast Lindsey Graham once. Thank you, Paul, for having my back on that. I appreciate it. All right, Josh, go ahead. Your prediction. I think Republicans keep the Senate uh, in uh, holding aside the presidency. I actually am feeling increasingly confident about Joni Ernst in Iowa. I think Tills is probably going to pull, pull it out in North Carolina. So I'm actually feeling better than I was just a few weeks ago about the Senate. Uh, quick prediction on the presidency. I think Pennsylvania is going to be this year's Florida. I think we're going to well, see that. Well, you're stealing my prediction. That That's mine. Yeah. And I've, I've been saying it all week. I, I, I said three days ago, I'm getting a, 20, a, a Florida 2000 vibe out of Pennsylvania. Uh, and I'm, I'm not happy about that either. I don't like that prediction, but I'm with you. That is, that's what I was going to predict. I think Pennsylvania got a governor there who's going to be term limited, who doesn't care, and he's nuts, and just doesn't care. All right, just will look right as Paul pointed out later earlier. He'll just look right in the camera and lie. I, I just, I don't trust him to preside over a fair election. I, I just don't. I hate saying that. I hate saying that, but it's what I think, gentlemen. Very much appreciated the conversation. Great job, both of you. Thanks for joining us. Both of you have a great weekend, and uh, hopefully you survive whatever goes down next week. All right, take care. Take care. Want again, I thank Josh Hammer, uh, op-ed page editor over at Newsweek, as well as Paul Alexander. He was the chief communication strategist for Tulsi Gabbard's presidential campaign earlier this year. We now will turn the tables on ourselves. You guys get to take over. It's Feedback Friday next. You'll determine the topics we address and talk about when we return right here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Stay tuned. Greetings. We're back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Todd Erzin has the day off. 
But Aaron McIntyre is by my side. My name is Steve Dace. Thanks to all of you for tuning in here today. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. 888-900-3393 is the number. Steve at stevedace.com, the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Over on Parlor at Steve Dace. And then our new YouTube channel as well. YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. Uh, Feedback Friday coming up here in just a moment. I want to also remind you, December the 15th is a very big day. That's when my new book, the novella sequel to A Nefarious Plot, which we talked about yesterday on uh, Theology Thursday, A Nefarious Carol is releasing all over the country. You can get uh, your pre-order in right now over at Amazon.com to make sure that you get yours right in time for Christmas Go and search for it there on Amazon, and you can find out a lot more about the book as well. A Nefarious Carol, the sequel to A Nefarious Plot, releasing on December the 15th. Thanks to all of you that have pre-ordered your copy already. Also, if you're a podcast listener, we appreciate you every bit as much. Just please show your appreciation for us. Hit that subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice if you haven't done that yet. Leave us a five-star review if you haven't done that yet as well. Thousands of you have. Thank you very much. Keep those five-star reviews coming. It definitely helps the show to grow. Thanks to all of you that have done that for us already. If you have not, what are you waiting for? Because I can promise you the show is not going to get any better. So if we haven't convinced you to do a five-star review by now, then we probably never are. If you're like waiting around, I don't know, I think I think you've got more in the tank. Nope. We've pretty much emptied the tank. This is the best we get. Water finds its level. If it's not five-star worthy now, it never is. So please, we're begging here. We're shameless. Uh, leave us a five-star review. Let's get to Feedback Friday brought to you by the mistake I made earlier today and that I forgot to bring my Bilt Bar with me. What are you doing? Man? I know, man. I'm. Uh, that's my noon... It's my thing, all right? I'm getting daily emails now from y'all that are trying Built Bar out, telling me, you know what? I I didn't believe it, but then I tried it, and you're right. Built Bars are absolutely delicious, 18 flavors, all covered in chocolate. The protein that you need, the sugar that you like but really don't, not there. The calories you don't want, not there either. Every bar is under 200 calories. Every bar is under five grams of sugar. Uh, It's got the protein and the fiber you're looking for. Great flavors across the board. There isn't a bad one. In terms of texture, it's like eating a Three Musketeer bar. You've just never had a protein bar like this before, I promise you. And that's why we're going to ask you to call our bluff. We're giving you 20% off the best protein bar ever made. At BuiltBar.com, B-U-I-L-T, for BuiltBar.com, promo code DACE to get 20% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, I want to begin with a note that I I just received um, earlier this morning from a gentleman named uh, Charles. He said, my best friend was discovered dead yesterday. He battled alcoholism. When he came out of rehab last year, he was a different person. His faith was strong, and it was so encouraging to see this man filled with hope and optimism. He looked me in the eyes, said his life was saved. He meant this both physically and spiritually. He went on to tell me that his greatest weapon and tool against his battle with alcohol was meetings and being in fellowship with people at church. He went to an AA meeting every day without fail. Until this spring, when the lockdowns happened. Unfortunately, he fell into hopelessness again. 
According to him, in some of our last conversations, he could not resist buying that bottle of vodka. He said he did not realize he had purchased it, and purchased it even until he was home drinking it. <clears throat> we talked on multiple occasions that thankfully he still had his faith, but he was discouraged that he could not go to the one place that would fill him up. His church was not open. He replaced the void of fellowship with other recovering addicts or people of faith with a bottle of vodka every day. He needed to be around people. We would pray together on the phone, and he would seem to be encouraged in that moment, but it was clear that he needed human interaction. I am both sad today, actually still in shock, but I'm also very angry. This didn't need to happen. This is another example of the unintended consequences of these lockdowns. I'm clinging to the hope that my friend was firm in his faith, that Jesus was a savior, so that this helps me not to fall completely into despair. Thanks for all you do, Charles. I'm so sorry, man. Stories like this are why we said from the very beginning, the cure cannot be worse than the disease. And you're right. You're right, Charles. It, it, it didn't need to happen. And we're sorry. And we're also angry because it's, first of all, a virus that's not serious enough for this kind of public response, number one. And we've known this for months. We have known this for months. And then, number two, these flat earth, voodoo, junk science, quote unquote, solutions don't work. Another wave of lockdowns being announced in the UK. I, I think Boris Johnson's mentally ill. Like, I think he's just lost his mind. Another wave of lockdowns in France. Those getting announced. Lockdowns work so well, you have to keep doing it over and over and over again. It, it would be one thing if, if they worked. And it would be one thing if this was a virus that didn't have, at, at worst, for almost everybody under the age of 70, a 98% recovery rate. It, it would be one thing if it if those yeah. two things weren't true, yep. and the opposite, unfortunately, were true. And and then you have to look at you're in a difficult position publicly. You're in the no win scenario, and that's when you have to make these kinds of calculations. Unfortunately, those things are true. That for ninety eight percent of people who get test positive for this under the age of seventy, they're going to recover. 
if they ever show any symptoms at all. And the lockdowns don't work anywhere. And yet, in too many places, they persist. And I think you just have to recognize that the government's claiming that they're doing this for your protection might be doing this for a lot of reasons. Your protection isn't one of them. First of all, for 98% of you, there's nothing to protect you from. And secondly, this protection doesn't protect. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Lockdowns don't work, but they do kill. As our, our friend Charles has sadly learned and reminded us. And now you've got these governors, Minnesota, Michigan, hinting at, or in Michigan's case, openly talking about, well, we may have to go back, you know, take back some of our reopening, which means further lockdowns. They don't work. If they worked, you wouldn't have to go back into lockdown. They don't work. Unless they have another purpose, and then they do. But if the purpose is mitigating COVID-19, they don't work. Otherwise, you'd never have to go back. Why do you do if you have breast cancer? Why do some women make the drastic decision to have that breast removed? Because the situation is serious enough that it could metastasize, spread throughout the body. And it's acute enough within, within that mass that just removing a section or so won't work. And so it requires a drastic solution, right? There are moments in an imperfect world where we have health scares individually or publicly that require drastic solutions. But after that woman has the mastectomy, she doesn't go back and say, hey, can you remove my breast again? No, it's gone. The lockdowns, we have to go back into lockdown again. Why? They don't work. But they do kill. God bless you, Charles, man. I, I don't even know what to say. And other than that. Evil. That's what we've seen a lot of this year. Not wrong, evil Doug in Bloomington Indiana says I'm going to vote for Trump this time meaning he didn't the last time because it really matters but if he loses I think he has to rank as one of the biggest losers in among in US presidential history number 1 he got creamed in the midterm elections number 2 he let the Fauci Burks Wuhan virus turn into a monumental economic disaster number 3 he lost to a senile openly marxist socialist candidate I can't really disagree with that. Nope. 
No. No. Uh, you know, on, on number one, plenty of presidents have been creamed in midterm elections. Bill Clinton got historically creamed in 1994, turned around and won re-election. Resoundingly. Barack Obama got creamed in both midterm elections. Like, annihilated, destroyed, wiped off the map. Bad. I mean, he had a nine—he had a nine swing, nine seat swing in one Senate election in 2014. That's, I think, one of the largest in American history post Reconstruction. So, plenty of presidents have lost bad in midterms. That's not unique. The other two things, though, you're talking about, yeah, I, I don't disagree. I don't. If he loses, and and when I say that, by the way, I know some of you bristle. I'm not acting as if. There hasn't been a get shorty operation and a coup for the last few years. We're not denying any of that. We're not denying anything that the media has pulled. We're not denying that. We're not denying how useless, as useful as mammary glands on a bull, Republicans in Congress were. We're not denying any of that. But you can only control what you can control. Now, the president has some degree of control over how useful Republicans in Congress are. And frankly, he didn't lean on them enough. He didn't pressure them enough. Gave in to him too often. And on the media front, I don't know, he's got a pretty good record beating those guys. So who knows? But either way, you can only control what you can control. And what you can control if you're Donald Trump was the decision to hand your presidency over to the quack duo of Anthony Fauci and Debbie Burks, who are still quacking as we speak. You had control over that. And then you had control for how long you allowed that to occur. Like, look at the economic uh, report we just had earlier this week. I'd been telling you, I'd been reading forecasts for about a month or so now that were forecasting around a 30% jump of GDP in the third quarter and, and ended up being slightly higher than that, 31%. Imagine if we had that in August instead. Right when the whole battle of right... Aaron, the whole battle of reopening, did the kids go back to school? And Right? Imagine if that took place in August instead. I think the entire landscape of this is different. I really do. We're so much further along in getting back to normal and reopening. So if if we had gotten that report on August 29th instead of October 29th, I think the entire landscape here is different. And he made those decisions. Just like he's made good decisions we have really liked, he made that decision. And yeah, and you're, I, I don't. what's interesting about Biden is he's claiming not to be an openly Marxist socialist candidate. He's got a good answer, actually. He said, hey, I beat all those candidates in the primary. But he is openly senile. That part is true. I mean, it, he, he seems like a unique vehicle to be making the back to normalcy uh, and we're gonna we're gonna calm and 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 simmer things down here with me in charge, when the guy you know is is probably legally incompetent. And any given day, you're like, oh, Joe, right? Anytime he goes to speak in front of a camera, right? Doesn't seem like he's the right proxy for normalcy. Seem like that would kind of put you on edge, putting your kid's future in the hands of a guy that. Uh, isn't sure if he's running a, a get out the vote operation or a voter fraud operation. <laughs> okay, um, but how, okay, you know, YOLO, I guess. Um, but that also would be about Trump. There, there's no question if he loses, he did it to himself. 
And if he won, he deserves singular the credit too. And that's probably, frankly, how Donald Trump likes it. Yep. All the credit, all the blame goes to him one way or the other. Either way, it's all about him. And I think he's comfortable in that space. Josh from California says, I'm a science teacher at a high school uh, here in the Central Valley. I heard the following from a little birdie of mine at one of our elementary schools. All the third grade teachers at this school are currently lobbying to stay home and teach as we slowly reopen our district. One of these teachers' reasons for wanting to stay home is that she's remodeling her kitchen. This teacher is the vice president of the union in this district. Surprise, surprise, surprise. And then he ends his note with, this will make you mad. Yes. Yeah. That's spoiler alert. Yeah, that, I mean, that's not an upset. But it, it's also not surprising. It's not surprising. Did you, um, did you see this the other day? Our friend Phil Kirpin tweeted this out. This is, a, uh, this is from the website UFT.org, the Teachers Union in New York. Mm-hmm. Would you like to know what the timestamp on this is? Sure. November 5th, 2020. Published this week. You don't say November 5th. Students return despite challenges. UFT, it's still up there now. UFT members with the support of their union helped pull off a successful, albeit difficult, return to in-classroom instruction during a phase. It's still up there. Are we being Shocking. Punked? Dude, didn't they do this in L- didn't they do this in LA County? The health experts say, hey, the, yeah, the kids are going to come back to school probably mm-hmm. sometime after the election, right? Didn't they say that in mm-hmm. Los Angeles County? When they say the quiet part out loud. Yep. Hi there, Steve. I've contemplated writing you for a long time as a teacher about how awful it is to keep the children home and away from school and their friends. I teach high school English. It's my first year. I teach freshmen, juniors, and seniors. I teach a required freshman course as well as elective courses for upperclassmen. The only reason I'm telling you this is to say how widespread and frightening some data I've been collecting truly is. I teach pretty much all the kids at my high school because English is a required class. This means kids across social classes, races, genders, income, etc. I sent out a survey recently just asking basic questions, like if they go by nicknames, what they want me to know about them as their teacher, that kind of thing. I also asked what they were most concerned about for this coming school year. Out of the 40-odd responses I have re- received so far, um, the answer to this question forced me to really think. I had one student say, quote, I am concerned about catching corona, unquote. I expected that. The other kids... They were concerned about being sent home. Let me put this in perspective for you. Kids began arriving on Monday, the first day, almost an hour and a half early. They were that excited. We start at 9 a.m. Kids were there when I arrived at 7.45, already lined up. They were that happy to be back in school. They don't want to even consider the possibility that school gets shut down. They are complying with the mask mandate. Most of my school does not even have air conditioning, but kids are wearing them so they can be at school. I do not, I, I do not get hardly any complaints about them, despite temperatures in my classroom sometimes hitting 85 degrees. As you know, it's been in the upper 90s around where we were reopening schools all week long. 
That's how bad kids want to be there. So when I hear that it's safer for kids to be at home, it infuriates me. Why are we not concerned for the mental and emotional well-being of our kids? Why are we so concerned for the almost non-existent effects of this virus? So I guess I want to say thank you for, for standing up for schools reopening. I genuinely don't think kids will ever recover if we keep this up. Please keep doing what you guys are doing. That's from Caitlin. Thank you, Caitlin, very much. And if you listen to the show, you know, I have my issues with what goes on in a lot of government schools. None of my three kids has ever nor will ever set foot in one, if I have anything to say about it. Um, our first two were homeschooled. Our, 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 our final child, our son, he is at Des Moines Christian as we speak. But that's a different argument. Parents should be empowered to make the decision for their children, not the state. Especially given how much the state has been lying to you about the data with this virus all along. You should be in charge of making that decision. And if you've got a school or a teacher like Caitlin and you're happy with them and you think your child's safe in that environment, not just physically, but their conscience, by all means, as a parent, you should get to make that decision. But it should be your decision, not the unions or the educrats somewhere, period. End of sentence. I think you want what, to add to this? Yeah, I think what we've seen this year, Steve, is illustrative of the great lie, the first lie of um, uh, of progressivism, and it's it's the lie uh, that, in essence, every every unbeliever uh, has has answered affirmatively. Ye be like God. You see the teachers' unions. Some of the teachers this year parading around as if the kids, the parents, are there for them. We've, we've talked about this before. It's the other way around. They're there to serve you. You are the ones paying and consenting to having your kids go to government schools. We see this in what's supposed to be escapes. The athletes, namely in the NBA, but all, we've also seen this in the NFL and to a lesser extent in Major League Baseball as well. They act as if... We're there for them. No, it's the other way around. You're here for us. We are the ones who are actually paying with our eyeballs, the time that we actually spend watching your games, the time uh, that we put into making enough money to buy your ridiculously priced jerseys. You're here for us, not the other way around. And it's that embrace whole cloth of the lie that you be like God. That is that not? Is that not evidence that, yeah, uh, I, I if, if you really believe that you are your own God, that you mm-hmm. are made in your own image. Mm-hmm. You believe that everybody is here at your behest mm-hmm. to serve you, mm-hmm. even though it's exactly diametrically, diametrically opposite. And so you're right, but it's it's obviously it's indicative of, of a larger point that we've seen play out um, astonishingly so over and over this year. Nathan writes, in the past nine months, your show has become the first thing I view when logging into the blaze. I still miss your old sports show with Kurt Schilling. Um, uh, the world has become so sociopathic and narcissistic, though I refused to participate. How can it be that society's top priority is to treat people like a germ factory whose sole purpose is to prevent anyone else from getting sick? I've always been frugal and miserly in a 17-year uh, career, and after a 17-year career with no children, I'm fortunate enough to have the resources to be able to stay home and play video games all day. I've always considered myself atheist with the hope that I'm wrong. So what else is there, though? As long as I don't impose on anyone else, how am I being ungodly? That's a, those are good questions, Nathan. Nathan, um, 
I could spend hours going back and forth with you uh, on what you bring up in your note. But I want to address, in the time I have, one question. You asked, hey, I lived a good life. I've done my best to be moral. I haven't harmed other people. I seek after truth, right? That's kind of what I sense he's pointing out. Um, So what else is there? An opportunity to have a one-on-one relationship with the creator of the universe for all time. That's it. Other than that, not much. Other than that much. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, when I say that, I don't, I'm not saying that sarcastically. I'm saying that to provide some levity to what is a serious question that you're asking. But that, that's what else there is. An, an, an opportunity to know and to be known by the universe's only all-knowing being. The, the opportunity to spend eternity, all of forever, in communion with him and in paradise. I, I'm brother, I, I commend you on the stuff that you point out about yourself. Although, Hey, I've got three teenagers right now. I know they can be frustrating, but that's the other thing you're missing out on is the fatherhood thing. Still the coolest thing I've ever done in my life is be a dad. But As for the big question you ask, what else is there? A one-on-one relationship with your true father. A one-on-one relationship with your creator, your maker. That's, that's what else there is. And I think that's, that's one heck of a something else. <laughs> if you ask me, um, that, that's, that's a big something else. And where I would come back to you then, after you asked me a question and I answered it, I would then follow up with you with a question. Why would you not want that? I mean, you seem to be a pretty smart guy. You seem to be thoughtful, conscientious. then why would you not want that? Why would you not want that? And I think I'll just leave it there. Hunter says, I have some thoughts on on why conservative movements tend to lack the political will to follow through with anything. The vast majority of the men who stormed the beaches in WW2 were unmarried, childless, 18 to 20 years old. They were many family-aged, there were many family-aged men who served, but they largely served in the rear. I don't know that for sure, but I get the point that you're talking about. Our movement is by nature majorities of those with families. And the demographic of those kinds of men without wives and children tend to be on the other side. I, for one, would have been happy to die for the cause when I was younger, but now that I'm married with children, I'm not as willing to take as much risk with my life and also my job. Completely agree. I, I, the main thrust of your point, Hunter, I don't disagree with at all. And, and, it, and that's commendable. But then we have to understand that there comes a point in time when those things that, first of all, you want to serve a cause greater than yourself with your children— 
Nothing more noble than that. You want to protect your livelihood, your ability to provide for them? Another noble sentiment. But then the question comes, what, when do you believe those things are threatened that you have to step forward? I mean, those unmarried men didn't storm the beaches of Normandy in June of 1934. They did it in 1944. Why? Well, in 1934, they weren't existentially threatened by a fascist socialist state seeking dominion over the earth. In 1944, they were. So even for those, those unmarried men were not flocking to the military to say, hey, we're here to lay down our lives. They're, they're, they had other priorities in 1934. But in 1944, that was the priority. As a guy that's got a pretty good livelihood and, and a pretty good family, I, I totally get where you're coming from. But then ultimately, there comes a point in time when my ability to provide that living and the, my ability to hand that future off to my children is threatened. And so that time is, that is a time for us to step forward. And the question is, are we at that point in time or are we getting close to it? More in a moment. Welcome back to Feedback Friday here in a minute. You know, we do so much cool stuff for our dogs. We take them for walks. Some of you even take them for runs. I think that's insane, but okay, cool. Uh, we take them to the groomer. We love on them, take them for rides. Our dog cap loves to go for rides, right? We do a lot of cool things for our dogs, but you know what they need us to do more than anything else? Make sure they've got the right nutrition because chances are the, 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 the store-bought food that we're purchasing for them ain't it. It, uh, a lot of that food has been stripped of all the good stuff for the same reasons uh, that, that they do the same thing with our own food. That's why we buy so many supplements these days. That's why the supplement section is one of the biggest sections in any grocery store in America right now. Uh, because mass production, mass distribution, you know, if you leave all those pre-probiotics, uh, omega oils, antioxidants, vitamins, nutrients, minerals, you leave it all in that food, it spoils quicker. So they take them out so that it lasts longer. Well, same thing happens with our pet's food, and that's why they need a supplement like we have one. And it's called, in this case, Rough Greens. It's a powder that you sprinkle with the food your dog already loves. And the way that it tastes, they're going to love it even more if our dog cap is any indication. But it puts all the good stuff back in. And they want you to give them a shot just to see for a couple of weeks if you don't see an improvement in your dog for less than 15 bucks. It's called the Jumpstart Bag, available today for just $14.95. When you go to roughgreens.com slash blaze. That's R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com slash blaze all right you have a video that you were watching during the break you want to show me yeah now I'll, i've not seen this yeah I'll, i'm gonna watch it with the audience yeah. for the first time and i'll give you five dollars if you can tell me what's being said okay okay i'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true and international effort to pressure all right i heard i'll lead an effective strategy I'll to mobilize effective strategy to mobilize true and international effort to pressure True innovative acts under pressure, under depression. Say, let's play that again. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true and international effort to pressure. I have no idea what the hell that is. What do you think it is? 
I think it's the name of a, like a drug or something. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true and international effort to pressure. One of the yep. things, one of the things Amy and I used to love to do. Do you remember the Osborne's reality show? Mm, oh, I've heard of it. I barely remember. That was one of the it. first reality shows to really go viral. Oh yeah, Ozzy with Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> yeah. and his family. And yeah. what Amy and I used to love to do is put the show on mute and turn the closed captioning on. <laughs> and, uh, those poor closed captioners yeah and, and, and like sometimes ozzy would just ramble on and it would get the first few words and like just question marks and stuff would come mm-hmm. up or would say indecipherable <laughs> all right it was hilarious man um i kind of got a, 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 the osborne's vibe out of uh that uh, that clip from joe no Biden. Doubt. all right here's a note that's after your own heart okay this is from jim pine Jim Pine has election betting odds. So we can't do this in Iowa. We can't bet on elections here, all right? Mm-hmm. But apparently where he lives, or maybe he's just uh, doing it anyway, all right? He has election betting odds, and he wants to know whether I would bet these odds. Okay. Okay? So they've got, in his election betting odds, they have Trump favored in Georgia and Florida. But the juice is minus 160 on both of those. Would I pay the juice on those? Um, I I would if I was, depending on the dollar amount. I mean, if I'm betting 20 or 50 bucks, no, I'm not paying uh, that kind of juice, right? If you're doing 10,000 yeah, or I'm doing even 1,000. Yeah, if I'm doing 1,000, then, then I would pay that juice. Yeah, because yeah, in general, in, in handicapping... In general, you you people see a lot of people think it's like the lottery. It's not. No. It's not random chance like the lottery. All right. So what what a lot of people do is they go into this thinking I'm going to bet a little and win a lot. Like I'm going to win like all these ten to one odds. Nope. No, you won't. I you know I hit twenty three to one on the Nats to win the World Series last year. I may never do that again the rest of my life. Okay. It, it's there's again assume they know more than you. And that's why they work in the palaces they work in and we're schlepping where we are. That doesn't mean they always know more than you. But in general, you're better off betting numbers than predictions. You are not going to outpredict odds makers. Let me give you an example. Last night in college football. Last night in college football, about 6 or 7 o'clock last night, out of nowhere, and with no provocation, sports books started plummeting the Clemson-Boston college line. Yep. It went from like 31 to like 24 in like a, in like an hour. Wow. And people are like, okay, something's up. Something's here. up. All right. And then we found out, you know, like, like eight o'clock last night, Trevor Lawrence tested positive for COVID. By the way, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. You want to get that puppy out of the way just in case? You want to take that risk with that 10 day period? You, I can't, dude, perfect timing, perfect timing. I test positive, so I, I don't show up for what's the, the weakest game left on our schedule, probably. But I'll get done just in time to be there for Notre Dame next week. And then I, then I can say I already had it, mm-hmm. so I'm good to go. Yep. I don't know, man. That's a shame that he has to sit out against their bitter rivals. Yeah, yeah. Boston College. Boston College. <laughs> right i don't know man 
I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Some people just have all the luck, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. brother. All right? But yeah, the, so this line, just the book, bookmakers stop, start just dropping this line, and there's no news. And then later in the evening, we find out that Trevor Lawrence tested positive, the star quarterback at Clemson. They, they, they assume they're smarter than you. Now, they're not, they don't always know more than you. They're not infallible. You can beat them. But the, you have to beat them with the assumption, though, that they know more than you. You, you beat them by finding holes in value. Meaning these numbers aren't, aren't, aren't relevant. I, I found a hole in the market share. I cannot beat them prediction by prediction. I can't do that. That's why they work where they work and we work where we work. Um, but do I know a guy who knows a guy that knows about this thing called Amazon.com stock before anybody else does? And so I buy 500 shares for a nickel a share before anybody else does. And now I'm a millionaire. See, that's how you win. You know something that the public doesn't know. You have an analytical angle. You have a piece of information. You spot a hole in the market. That's how you can win. But it requires a lot of work. Most people don't have time to do that. That's why most people lose. Because they try to do it prediction by prediction. So... If I was betting, in general, you want to bet a lot of money to win a little, not a little money to win a lot. So if I was betting a lot on Trump to win Georgia and Florida, then I would take the juice. But if I'm, if I'm, if I'm a you know, $50 better, $100 better, $10 better, no, I'm not paying that kind of juice. Even though I think Trump will win both Georgia and Florida. Now, here are the plus odds they have, Aaron, mm-hmm. that he gave me to bet. Michigan at plus 230. I will tell you, I have a a little birdie who thinks Republicans could actually be winning the early voting in Michigan. So would I today predict Trump to win Michigan? I don't know. But if you gave me plus 230 odds, which means almost two and a half to one on my money, I would take that bet. Because bet numbers more than outcomes. That's a good bet. Yep. Okay. That's the kind of bet you do put 10 bucks down or 50 bucks down or 100 bucks down. It's not a bet the house or bet a lot to win. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But that's a good value bet. Wisconsin at plus 213. I will tell you, I've got a little birdie who is, thinks that on a given day, they Wisconsin's in, polling is everywhere. But again, two to one odds for Trump to win a state he's already won. I would take a look at that. Nevada at plus 230. Again, I, 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 you want to give me two to one odds on my money, I would do that. Now, here's what's fascinating. Pennsylvania is down to plus 148. See, I think that's the decisive state in the election. I think if Trump wins Pennsylvania, he's going to win. And if he doesn't, it gets a lot harder. Would I take plus 148? It would not. That's a good odd, but I, I don't trust anything happening in Pennsylvania. If I'm going to put my money on Pennsylvania, I need a better number than that because of the chicanery that I think is about to ensue there. Minnesota at plus 240. Well, Trump's going there today. Only lost the state by like two points last time. Yeah. I think I'd, I think I'd make that play. For example, if our sports book allowed me to put these bets down, I'd, I'd bet on every single one of these except Pennsylvania. 
because the the what's called the EV or the value that the estimated value you get on on the return on your investment if you win would absolutely say do it absolutely yep okay now if I was a big time guy if I had big time cash I don't okay I have some cash I'm, I'm not poor but I'm not big time okay if I had if I had Glenn Beck's money you know Mr Radio Hall of Famer last night. And just like Todd often says, he's just here to coast off of my coattails. Basically, I'm doing that with Glenn Beck. Okay. So <laughs> I'm, I'm very, very excited for all of Glenn Beck's right. success. Okay. Um, I buy Glenn Beck's kind of money and Ross Perot was my former neighbor before he passed away. I would then look at the Georgia, Florida odds because I could bet a lot to win a little. See what yes. I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But in the, in the, in the tax bracket that most of us are in, and most of you that watch and listen are in, I'm probably on the higher end of that tax bracket, but I'm in your same tax bracket would be my guess. I'm going to look for the plus odds and I would absolutely get down on Michigan, Wisconsin, Nevada, and Minnesota. Absolutely. So it, it's funny, this email come up or came up today because I was actually looking at the betting odds just to keep track and, and see where the, the money versus tickets are going. Because if all the money is on one side, but all the tickets are on the other, that's a pretty good indication mm -hmm. that sharp money is on the non-public play, which is where you want to go. Meaning people um, that do this like professionally. Exactly. So they're sharper. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, I see the overall election odds this morning. Uh, I think it was from the website Odds Checker, which kind of compiles all of them. Mm -hmm. uh, what did you say Pennsylvania was? Plus 148. Plus 148. Plus 148. Yeah. You know what the overall election odds are uh, this morning, as of this morning? Hmm. Trump plus 145. So they're, so they, coming, they're, they're going telling down you further. Basically, well, yes, but, uh, but they're telling you that basically, as Pennsylvania goes, yeah. so the election goes, yeah. which lends itself to what you were saying. Earlier. And that, that, that basically means that Trump is plus 145 to win the general election. Yep. That, that's basically what it means. Yep. Good stuff there, man. I like stuff like that uh, a lot. Um, this I'm going to withhold the name of this person, and you'll see why when I share the note. I'm a registered nurse in Florida. I can tell you the first few weeks of COVID-19 were terrifying. Just from the mental health aspect of will I get the virus? I have an 18-month-old. Should I go sleep in the camper? What if I give it to him because he liked to sleep on my chest? Initially, and so these are the things you wonder about. Initially, I had very few patients that were COVID positive. I began to think it was a farce. Had it not been for the global indications here in Florida where old people live, we wouldn't have known until uh, known about it until May through July. Our main ICU doctor was publishing on Facebook that we would have nearly triple the admissions from what he was seeing. That post was shared 355 times, meaning the admissions doctor was lying. We did have an increase and it was scary for a while as a lot of times they were folks my age in their 40s and 50s, but as quickly as it ramped up, it declined. It never reached the numbers our ICU head publicly insinuated on his Facebook page. He's smart and frankly, his posts feel more politically driven than scientific. My boss had kept very detailed admission rates in July and, and, and by in June and July. By mid-August, the need was not there to keep detailed graphs. However, the lead physician was gaslighting all of his Facebook friends. He's an undecided, quote-unquote, Biden voter who constantly posted how Fauci was God and Trump was an ass to question Fauci. He literally posted a picture of a textbook from his education written from Dr. Fauci with the hashtag, I stand with Fauci, hashtag, I stand with science. And yet this guy was gaslighting his friends on Facebook about what their actual admission numbers were. He was just lying. You cannot have common sense right now. It's not allowed. I fear every day for my job when I share some of your posts and other commentators' charts and graphs. At the height of our census, we were not even close to full. 
At the height, as in now, we have therapeutics in place. In the beginning, our doctors had dosed themselves on HCQ. Reporting NQ with CNN, the dosing gave them palpitations so they couldn't in good conscience prescribe it to nurses prophylactically. Right. The funny, not funny thing is, in my first year in the ICU, we did 10 rounds of CPR on a 46-year-old single mom with a 16 and 18-year-old at her bedside. If that happened today, we'd call it a COVID death. It's all lies, smoke and mirrors. The fix is in. Trump couldn't probably win with either direction he took with this virus. Academia ruins everything, including medicine, the medical field, and politics. God help us. What are your thoughts on that note? And you can see now why I withheld her name. Yeah. It's uh, tragic, frustrating, and must be defeated. I don't know. I I don't know how you can, how you can peacefully peacefully coexist with that with yeah. that yeah i mean this goes back steve to the a conversation doctor lying on facebook about his about whether his their own, hospital yeah. is overrun or not this goes back to the the conversation i think it was monday that we had epistemology how do we know what is true is actually true how would we go about finding that and in this culture i, I don't think we're i don't think we're in a post-truth culture the 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 uh, abstract co- uh, construct or abstract idea of amorality, the absence of morals, that exists. What does not exist is an abstract construct of a truth, the absence of truth. That doesn't exist. Either the truth, either you are for finding the truth or you are against it. We're not in a post-truth culture. We're in an anti-truth culture. It's Romans 1. Again, we've referenced Romans 1 many, many times over the last few years, and it almost becomes trite, but I I just think that's Occam's razor. That's where we are. Foolish hearts were darkened. Well said. Hey, before we get out of here, if you are thinking about going into the real estate market, moving out of one of those crazed blue authoritarian states into a place where there might be more freedom like we have here in Iowa, for example, make sure you go in with a real estate agent that you can trust. Now, where would you find this person? Uh, the website says it all. Realestateagentsitrust.com. That's where you're going to find an agent whose track record of success has been fully vetted. Otherwise, they wouldn't be listed there. Again, that's the website you want to go to. It's a company started by Glenn Beck. They were all tired of hearing about agents who talked a good game but didn't deliver. You'll find an agent that will deliver for you at realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. We're going to stick around, do the overtime for our Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, have a great weekend until Monday, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.